It's April 2020, and this is the conspirator. No, conspirator. No, is that Italian? No, it's a no. It's a no to conspiracy news. But it's what we do. It's practically a tradition. Why not? You know why? No, I don't. Not you. You, Dave. Hold, hold on. Are you about to name a patron? I am. Let me refer to you to paragraph six, subsection one, in which it lists the tiers of naming versus the tiers of initializing. Hold on. Okay. So, sorry, that was six, subsection one. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, I've got it on my screen. Yeah, so I want you to cross-reference tier two with the database entry of new patrons. Hold on, that requires me to switch applications. Ah, okay, yes, I, I can see the problem. Yep. So basically, my spiel about how there can never be a conspiracy news episode of April 2020, not while either of us draws breath, at least, is unusable. Precisely. And my claim that whatever our now unnamed and unnameable patron has done, not a human soul can rest until the very notion of, and I quote, an April 2020 conspiracy news episode has been eliminated. Mm, which would lead into some claim about the cephalopods, I'm sure. Oh, not just the cephalopods, Josh. Rush Limbaugh, Antarctic Nazi submarines bases, your mum. It's about everything. Well... Good thing I managed to stop you even mentioning it then, I guess. Stop? Oh no. No, we just don't have the evidence yet. It's going on. And 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 on. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello, you're listening to The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. It is April the 30th in Auckland, New Zealand. I am Josh Addison. They are Dr. M. Denton. Both of us still at home, still self-isolating. That's the world we live in today. What are you going to do? Well, I'm thinking about a bank heist. Mm, yep, could work, could work, perhaps. Although, I don't know, lots of people have gone back to work. We're in level three now, level three lockdown. Now, Josh, does level three lockdown mean you've eaten a lot of takeaways? Doesn't actually, but I could, if I wanted to, perhaps. We'll see. It is quite interesting that even though suddenly we have the ability to get takeaways, uh, twa- mm. a lot of people are going kind of don't necessarily feel the need to have them. Well, and yet a lot of other people have been. There have been scenes of people queuing up outside various McDonald's and KFCs and what have you, and massive queues at the drive throughs and all that sort of stuff. But maybe once the novelty wears off, I don't know. Well, to quote a Charlton Heston film, it's a madhouse, it's a madhouse. <laughs> Except I actually do think that's a representational fallacy. I actually don't think there is this massive call for takeaways. I just think it's noteworthy when you get a few queues at a few takeaway places mm. around the country. Well, yes, it's not like the entire population went out went out for a burger, but um, quite a lot of people did, but only for a night from the sounds of it. Yes, anyway. I mean, it will be interesting in two weeks' time to see if we have some KFC COVID-19-related mm. cases yeah. or the burger fuel virus, but I suspect... People are going to be sensible and things are going to be fine. A quote that will bite me in the bottom in three weeks' time. I'm I'm counting on it. Now, uh, it is the last week in April. Normally in the last week of a month, we do a a news episode. But quite frankly, it it would would be only and all COVID-19 stuff with maybe just a sprinkling of Kim Jong-un business on top. I I had the impression that you actually had you had this cremation urn and you're going to Mm. literally sprinkle some King John on on, on camera. We've got proof he's dead. Look, I've got his urn. Then you go, oh, actually, this appears to be Kim Il Sung's urn. And then, in case of how did you get that? He's had a state burial. And then we have to have an entire story about how you're once again buying funereal caskets from that dodgy salesperson just down the road. And you've got to stop doing that, Josh. You can't trust what's in those urns. That's who I am. But yes, so Kim Jong-un might be dead, we don't know. Uh, Oh, the Pentagon 
officially declassified those UFO videos that have been around for years and years now. And which are not particularly exciting, but no. I'm sure eventually we'll talk about it. Just not this week. Yeah. No, this week, this week, uh, we've got another interview for you. Uh, you have been speaking to friend of the show, Joe Skinsky, who has been for the past few years doing uh, surveys on people's conspiracy theory related beliefs. Well, amongst other things, amongst Phil other is things, a respected yes. associate professor mm. at the University of Miami who does work on conspiracy theory theory and has been organizing those conferences in Miami. I say conferences, plural, only one ever eventuated because the other one was canceled due to COVID-19. But yes, he's been very much involved in polling American attitudes towards conspiracy theories since 2014. And he was the lead investigator behind that recent Pew Research Center poll we talked about last week, which suggested that about 30% of the US population thinks that COVID-19 was created in a lab. And so I took time out of my busy schedule to talk with Joe and go through the polling data to find out exactly what Americans do and don't think about not just COVID-19 conspiracy theories, but conspiracy theories in general. Mm. So let's not beat about the rush anymore. Uh, we'll play you the interview now and uh, I guess check in briefly at the end. You will indeed. And by you will, we will, yeah, which includes you as well. Mm. Right, so I'm talking with Professor Joe Usinski of the University of Miami, who is a bit of a theorist of the old conspiracy theory and has been doing some rather interesting polling work as about what Americans believe about the origin and spread of COVID-19. Hello, Joe. Hi, how are you? I'm I'm surviving our lockdown. This is actually our last day of level four lockdown in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Tomorrow, the takeaway places reopen and you'll be able to buy a takeaway coffee, which will change our culture entirely. How are things going in a political Miami? Um, nothing's really changed here. They are talking about opening up some things, um, but they haven't opened anything yet. And I haven't seen any concrete plans to open anything. I know in some northern parts of the state, they've reopened some beaches. And there's been some news getting out like, oh, my God, millions of people flocking to the beaches. That's just not true. Um, if you if you look at drone footage of the beaches, it's very few people. Everyone's social distanced. So it's it, there's no reason to not have them open. And probably a lot of reasons to have them open, just to give people more space to spread out. Yes, we've got some interesting reporting about what's going on here. So you might be aware there was a Bloomberg opinion piece about the lockdown in Aotearoa, New Zealand, published two days ago, in which the opinion writer claims that the police are enforcing a one-hour being-outside limit in this country, which is not true at all. So apparently the police are everywhere making sure we're only outside for an hour. I have not seen a police officer on the street for weeks. Yeah, and, and they don't want to get up close to people. So even if that was true, that such a policy was passed, I don't know how they would possibly enforce it. Well, see, an hour country would be enforced by the police officer slowing down and going, you, you should probably go back inside and then driving off. We we very much do policing by consent in this country. Well, they I'll give you one thing that is sort of conspiratorial that speaks to this, and that is Westport, Connecticut. And this is this is not far from, from where I, I grew up. Um they had uh were working with a private company, the police department there, and they were going to bring in drones. And they were going to have drones flying all over the city to monitor if people were getting too close to each other. So breaking the six foot social distance rule. And the drones are going to be checking people's temperatures and other vital signs. And then the people in the town got really upset and they started protesting, not in person, but I think just just uh, going nuts on the police police department's facebook page and then the 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 town council and the and the police department said oh we're going to cancel this this plan because people don't want it but but imagine that i mean it it does almost rise to the level of conspiracy theory um it's missing some elements because i don't think it was necessarily against you know the common good or necessarily nefarious but 
Um, it's that sort of thing where you have a private company sort of seeking out a a copacetic police department that's willing to do this and then to you know to try out their their private product um, which is necessarily going to violate people's rights i mean if you have drones peering into your body um, to check on your vital signs or to check how close you are to someone else and then transmit that to the government and then potentially send government agents to come and harass you for whatever reason so I don't know where that falls in the range of conspiracy theory. It's not quite there yet, but it, it could easily lead to, you know, very, very bad outcomes. And I, I can see the Alex Jones info war segment on this now. I feel this. I, I need to get, I need to get some pieces of paper in my hand because Alex Jones always, always starts talking. I've got, a, I've got a report here about the Westport, West Connecticut <laughs> Police Force. They're, they're bringing in drones. You know how they locate where are the drones with the microchips that the FDA has put into your food. They put it into your food. This is the new world on. This is the state. This is the FEMA death camps coming to your home. It's going to be terrible. I've got papers here. Yeah, that's precisely how it would get reported. And is that how he gets his effort? Somebody runs up to him with a little piece of paper and says... Well, no, he's always got <laughs> scraps of paper on his desk. So as soon as he wants to make a point, he grabs a piece of paper and then he brandishes it and then puts it down. And if you watch some of his recordings, he'll then go on to a completely different topic and pick up the same piece of paper and brandish that as evidence of this very <laughs> bad thing, which either means, I mean, it's possible to print out of all of the bad news and so he's just got that paper there or it's a prop and there are no reports he's basing his conspiracy theories upon now i don't want to be uncharitable to mr jones but i suspect it might be the latter yeah <laughs> now you've been polling americans about their beliefs about COVID 19 and that was reported about two weeks ago now with respect to about a third of americans believe weird things about the origin of COVID 19 but i believe you've done some really fine grain testing of what people believe about the COVID-19 virus, its origin and spread. Well, we did two conspiracy theories on COVID, but then we did 19 others on other stuff, some of which is, is are sort of related beliefs. So I could go down the list, and then we could talk about... Yes, I would love you to, yeah. Yeah, I could give you the percentage, and we could talk a little bit about it, and I could tell you what seems to be uh, most correlated with it. Yes, that sounds like an excellent plan. Hit me with your with with your twenty one theories. Okay, so I'll I'll give you the two just just for uh, you know listeners who haven't joined us in a previous episode. I'll give you the two coronavirus ones. So uh, we asked people if they agreed that the COVID nineteen threat was being exaggerated to hurt President Trump, and we got twenty nine percent saying yes. And this is highly correlated with partisanship. So obviously Republicans, and in particular ones who really like Trump and pay attention to the news, um, believe this one. Now, were there any people who were of the left who were also enduring, endorsing that claim? Yeah, so the, the, the correlation between partisanship and this belief is only 0.3. So it's pretty good, but that means that it's not all people on the right. There are people, people moderates and people on the left who are buying into this um, too. So the other issue here that's sort of driving this is that people with a conspiracy mindset are are also likely to to buy into this. So you've got those two factors um, at the same time. So so at no point does that exclude people on the left um, from thinking that it's being exaggerated. So so it's by conspiracy mindset we're going here. People who think there is something suspicious about the COVID nineteen crisis, who have theories about well, so something sus. Well, people who would think that, you know, who have a worldview where events and circumstances tend to be explained by conspiracies rather than something else. So imagine the people who tend to reach for those explanations will also reach for this explanation, too, for COVID. Uh, the next one is that it was spread on purpose, and that isn't really correlated with partisanship very much at all, and that's 31%. So imagine people on right and left and in the middle thinking, you know, this could be some sort of Chinese super weapon, Russia super weapon, or it's the Illuminati or the Freemasons or, or who knows what, but it's, it's, it was put here on purpose to get us. And of course, that one's quite interesting because even though that's not the exact theory that's been investigated, there is the US intelligence services are investigating whether COVID-19 was accidentally released from a lab. 
and that the Chinese story that it was animal to human transmission through mutation of the virus is in fact a cover story of an industrial accident either somewhere in Wuhan or Hubei. Yeah, so that's a much milder version of this. So that wouldn't be spread on purpose. But I, I think what they're getting at is that they had the virus somewhere on purpose in a lab, and then it accidentally got out. So it wasn't intended to kill people, but it was intended, or at least not now anyway. Um, but they were doing something with it intentionally, but then it got out of hand. That I don't know if I believe that myself. I guess that they're going to have to gather more evidence to show that that's the case. But I'm willing to just sort of say for now, I don't know fully what happened. You know, they say it's from a bat, but other people say something else. I'll, I'm sure there'll be more investigations and I'll, I'll pay attention more at some other point. Yeah, it does seem like it's an, it's an interesting hypothesis because you might go, even if you think evidentially, it's actually quite unlikely it's a engineered virus and more likely to just be animal-to-human transmission. You might still want your security services to investigate this claim just in, cl- in case it turns out to be true. It does seem there's a lot of it's a lot of very interesting competing forms of evidence for this. You've got the well, we're suspicious about the Chinese state in general about their information control and wanting to save face whenever possible. So we don't tend to trust the initial official story that comes out of Beijing anyway. So why would we trust it in this particular case? And then you have the biologists who are looking at the genome of COVID-19 going, yeah, we're, we know what genetic engineering looks like or genetic manipulation looks like via, say, things like CRISPR. And there's nothing in the virus we're looking at that shows any sign of modification by human beings. So you've got a political argument going, why would you trust Beijing? And then a biological argument going, well, on prob- on, if they did engineer it, it doesn't look like they've left any markers behind. And that's pretty incredible. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, it, it, it really devolves down to something much more benign, like maybe they had it and maybe it got out by accident. Yeah. And that would be the best thing. And, 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 you know, but, but then you have to, you have to bring positive proof of that, not just, you know, cause I read a Fox news story and it said, uh, you know, we have an anonymous source telling us about documents that aren't released. We've requested the documents and don't have them. And we're not going to give you the name of the source. So I'm like, well, what do I do with that? It's probably the same source that gives Alex Jones those bits of paper he yeah. brandishes in every broadcast. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, I'll I'll bring you down to number three here. Uh, the one percent controls the entire government, and we got fifty four percent buying into that one. And what's the division on partisanship for that? So slightly more leaning to the left. Um, and good reason for that, because this is largely a line pushed by by Bernie Sanders, but adopted by people on 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 both sides. So in and out of all twenty two that I polled on, this is the one that has the highest level of agreement with it. So do we have data about this belief, say, going back to the Obama presidency? I've polled on this before, but I don't remember what the what the numbers were but i don't i don't think i ever got anything this high because i so 50 i can kind of see people endorsing that given the kind of people that donald trump appoints to various committee and czar positions in the u.s it does kind of look like he's selecting his really rich friends to take up prominent positions and that might make you go this seems this doesn't seem particularly representative in a representative democracy if only your rich friends get the the high level positions <laughs> in government yeah i mean that could drive sort of some numbers of it but i don't think most of it is coming from that the reason is because this belief was around long before donald trump appointed these folks and then i, I would I, I would guess that a lot of the people who believe this would also say, oh, Trump's cronies, there are a bunch of incompetent boobs that can't get anything done. And then they're also holding the same beliefs. Oh, they control everything. So, I mean, I I guess you you could say something like, I might agree with them if they were to say, you know, there's a massive upper class bias to either political appointees or to, you know, our representatives, fine. 
but I, I wouldn't put it much further than that. Yes, I mean, you are, I mean, I suppose historically you might go, well, it's just always been the case. If you go to the right schools, you're probably more likely to be successful in the civil service in any particular country. And the right schools do tend to correlate with having the right kind of background or wealth. So that's just going to be lurking in the background. But it does seem interesting that Trump's very incom incompetent friends, uh, given... Uh, are implied to have an awful lot of power they don't seem to be able to express whilst being in government. Yeah, like there are some things where I'm like, okay, that, that's sort of like uh, they're giving out this $2 trillion, $2 trillion worth of money in the last package they passed, and then the president's not going to allow um, a independent um, inspector general to look at where the money's going. <laughs> Like, okay, now, now you know, it's not necessarily a conspiracy, but I could see one leading like, that's a lot of money to have power over and not have any oversight whatsoever. You're certainly breaking some, some you know, basic democratic ground rules that you're just, oh, here's some money. I can do whatever I want with it. I mean, that's not, that's not right. No. Um, the next one, the deep state is embedded and controls the government. 43% say yes. Now, of course, the question we always have to ask is, what do we mean by the deep state? And what do people take the deep state to mean when this question is asked? So that's a really good question. And, that, and, and what we wind up bumping into is, is like survey methodology on top of what, what you and I both know about conspiracy theories, is that there's a, an infinite number of theories out there and all sorts of different permutations and... Um, you know, so a lot of times what I try to do with my survey questions is ask very general questions that sort of people can say yes, even if they have a different version than someone else. So, for example, the Kennedy question is like, do you believe there was a conspiracy or a cover-up? And that's why you get really high numbers. But uh, among the, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 percent that say yes to that, they all have a different idea of what of what happened. Um, so in this case, you could have you know, some people with a more mild view. Like I've heard academics make arguments like, yes, there is a deep state. We know who they are. They're civil servants. Um, they have jobs. They'll be there longer than the president. And they're a force for good, you know, and, 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 and they should be there. So that, I mean, that's one way to think about it. But I think most people, when they hear the term deep state, they have more of a Oliver Stone view of a deep state. Yes, it's, it's a case of back and to the left. Back yeah, <laughs> and to the left. Yeah, the the kind of deep state that Jim Garrison was particularly concerned with. Exactly. Where do we, you know, where you'd be talking about uh, the smoking man from the Axe Files, that sort of deep state. Yeah. yeah. Although I do think um, it would be actually be dangerous to do some some surveys to try try and elicit exactly what people think the deep state is and see whether the meaning changes from one class of individuals to another. That's sort of neat, because I, I guess I could ask these questions and then say something along the lines of, well, you answered yes. What do you, you know, what do you um, mean? But, or, or what comes to your mind when we say deep state or something like that? Or maybe have a, a range of examples and then get them to endorse whether they think that's an example of a deep state activity. Mm. Dangers of 5G are being covered up. 26%. That's... That's that's a that is a significant part of the population, and that part of the population now is very fond of burning down burning down <laughs> cell phone towers, particularly in the UK. It seems. Yeah, it's a bunch of countries in the EU too uh, where that's happening, and luckily, I don't think twenty six percent of Americans are burning down cell towers. Um, I don't think that's happened here yet, but this is this is again one of those beliefs that we see over and over again. Um, throughout history where you have new technology come in and then people are immediately apprehensive of it and think that there are hidden dangers. I follow a, a Twitter account called the Pessimist Archive and they go through 100-year-old newspapers to find people warning us about things that are very mundane now. And one of the things they've been pulling out articles about are artificial ice. You know, so people who have been making, you know, making that newfangled ice in their newfangled icebox <laughs> refrigerator. They're saying, that that's not natural. That's not good for you. You don't want that. You should have the real ice from the lake. 
Well, in fact, that's no, no, Joe. Joe, let me point out to you: <laughs> the advent of artificial ice occurred before the Second World War. So, ipso facto, artificial ice not only caused the Second World War, but is also the reason why we now have atomic weaponry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you actually find examples of this going back to the ancient world. So, the advent of literacy in the ancient world, or the idea of writing, was associated with people saying, "Well, that's the end of civilization. Once people start writing down, storytelling will end, and people will never leave their homes." Uh, it does turn out the advent of new technologies do tend to be associated with with pro, uh, with I better say procrastination, prognostications of doom and gloom. Yeah, and you go back 100 years and you have people writing newspaper articles saying people should read less. It's bad for kids to read so much and they're reading these novels and books and that's awful. And now it's they're in front of the screen and kids say, why can't they just read books? Well, I mean, it's a, and now the yeah. virus happened and now parents are like, thank God we have screens for them to, to watch. <laughs> yes, I think, I, I think a lot of people are suddenly realizing just how useful technology is for keeping children occupied during the day when you have to work at home yeah um the dangers of oh school shootings are false flags meant to take away our gun rights 17 percent i mean that's a that is a uniquely american proposition i have to say because we we don't really seem to have worries about school shootings in other countries mostly because we don't have school shootings in other countries well, you did have it. You did have one. You had the Christchurch shooting oh, there. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, and, and Missy, that did mean that our country suddenly was a world leader in mass shootings. But it's also, re it's really the first one we've had since 1987. Was there any conspiracy theories that took root around that? Oh, uh, there's a lot of white nationalist conspiracy theories mm. that the government was the real orchestrator of the attack. The terrorist in question isn't really a proper white nationalist. The government is colluding with Muslims to enable Sharia law in the country. There were a lot of conspiracy theories that emerged afterwards. I would like to say a lot of them haven't taken root, but a little bit like when you look at the survey data about American attitudes towards Islam just after 9-11 and then long term, where you actually had a, a moment of actually not every Muslim is bad. You know, this is just a mm. this was a case of a few bad apples. And then then as time passed, you went back to heavy as anti-Muslim sentiment, it does seem that that honeymoon period after the, the mosque attacks, where the people of New Zealand went, we should really uh, form solidar solidarity with Muslims, didn't last as long as maybe we'd like to think. <laughs> Rothschilds control the government, or, or, or they control governments and wars, 29%. So did you ask a specific question about the Jews being in control? Because I'd be quite curious to see what the correlate between that one and the Rothschilds claim is, given that Rothschilds is often synonymous with the Jewish cabal. I did ask it in the survey in a different way, and it was part of an experiment, so I don't have the results for that. But I, it, in, in, this, in this data I have for you now, I did ask if people believe that the number of Jewish people killed in the Holocaust has been exaggerated for political purposes. Yeah, and what was that number? 15%. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, yeah, so the because the Rothschilds claim is often taken to be an, a, a form of crypto anti-Semitism rather than saying the Jews will now use a prominent Jewish financier family instead. I should look at that to see what the correlation is between Rothschild beliefs and 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 the Holocaust belief. Yeah. Yeah, it would be quite curious to see whether you get exactly the same result if you ask the Jews control the world. Mm. Uh, JFK killed by a conspiracy, 44%. And that's actually down from where it's been for decades, which is closer to 80%. Really? It's been, on a steady yeah. it's been on a steady decline for about 20 years. Do you think that in part just because it's now such ancient history that people, the people who did care basically are dying i don't know i mean i guess i could i i should go in and look at the age distribution of this and sort of looking at because maybe it's cycling out you know maybe sort of like freemason fears like if you were alive in 1830 then you were probably freaked out by the freemasons but you know people nowadays are like eh. 
Also, if you um, were alive in the 1830s and are listening to this podcast, <laughs> please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. <laughs> Joe wants to poll you on what yeah, your conspiracy theory believes. We want to know what you think about the Freemasons. Um, business. Okay, so here's here's the one that gets to uh, the New Zealand shooting. Uh, businesses are attempting to replace workers. Well, I think we said businesses and governments are trying to replace uh, domestic workers with foreign, cheaper foreign labor. Oh, yes, the so-called immigration is destroying our society hypothesis. Yeah, and we got uh, 29% on that too. And that tends to lean a little more right. Yeah. That leans yeah, a little bit more to the right. That does seem to appeal to Trump's base. But weekly, though, and that's that's the interesting thing is that you would think that all of this anti-immigrant sentiment is is out on the on the right. It's really not. And the interesting thing is, if you look at elite rhetoric around immigration, I mean, you'll have people like Trump who are like, "Let's stop immigration," um, but you don't have strong voices on the left saying we want more immigration. Not in this country anymore. There are strong voices on the left who say we should, you know, be nice to immigrants. Um, and we don't want them locked in cages, but you don't have the ones saying you don't have a strong movement saying we want largely open borders or more immigration or or anything like that. Um, it's it's just not it's just not there. And you know, some of the rhetoric from people like Clinton and Sanders was like, you know, we don't want open borders. You know, we, that's crazy. Yeah, there has been quite a lot of discussion about left-wing politics in the last decade or so about the the growth of anti-immigrant and the kind of move away from the internationalist perspective of socialism on the left that the left is either adopting things that have worked well for the right, so the Overton window has moved in a particular way and the left is adopting that, or the left is kind of losing its notion that it's meant to be a solidarity of all people in all places. So yeah, that is quite fascinating that only weekly is towards a towards a people on on the right in your survey data yeah i mean slightly towards the right but again I, and i've asked a, a lot of immigration questions in the past and it's skews right but you know the left is not uh without guilt here um humans have made contact with aliens 33 percent. so we got uh, one in is, three americans yeah. is that up or down um, this is, is higher than other polls that I've seen. Cause I've seen 20, 25%, but 33 is higher than I've, than I've seen. And that skews just a tiny, tiny bit to the left and higher than I've seen in the past. The U S tends to be the highest country that I've seen data from anyway, with, with alien beliefs. With the second, you have a lot of TV shows about ancient a aliens and the like. So yeah, yeah, you do seem to have slightly more interest in that. Even though technically most of your talking heads about it come from Europe, your Eric von Dannikens and the like are, Euro are European exports who have kind of been rejected in their home countries and found roost in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, there's a good market for that. Here, I mean, if you're going to be an alien conspiracy theorist, the U.S. is the place to do it. The second best place would be Argentina, um, because they they the poll I saw on them had 20, 24 percent. So they were just right behind the Americans. I hang out with a lot of Argentinians here in Miami. I was at a dinner party with some and I said, can you tell me why so many Argentinians believe in uh, alien conspiracy theories? And they said, oh, we'll tell you. And I was expecting to get some sociological answer. And they said, because the Vatican has a secret alien landing spot in the northern mountains of the country. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. So the answer is because they're real. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that is a good reason to believe that they've had contact with humankind. Yeah, I mean, if the Vatican is <laughs> running an airbase for them, then then certainly. AIDS was created and spread on purpose. Twenty-two percent. That's actually higher than I've than I've seen before or in other countries. And so that, given that, it doesn't shock me that people would think that COVID was being created and spread on purpose either. And that's, you know, I'm sort of wondering why people would think that at this point, because, you know, you have to take a pill for it. But when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was a death, you know, it was like the scariest thing for everybody. Now it's like you could take drugs to prep you to keep you from getting it, or you could take drugs if you do catch it that largely, you know, renders it almost... Uh, 
uh, the test won't even pick it up at this point. So, yeah, I mean, I remember ads in the 80s when I was a child about the AIDS epidemic in New Zealand. And those ads were absolutely frightening. So it was a case of, look, you you do not want to get this. You are going to, you're, if you if you develop, if you get HIV, you'll develop AIDS and you will die. And yes, now, now we have drugs which get the viral load down to an undetectable level mm. and people live long and natural lives. Um, dangers of vaccines are being hidden by pharmaceutical companies and the government, 30%. So almost one. No, excuse me. Thirty percent, yeah, almost one in three. Um, even on both sides of the of the political aisle here in the U.S. Any comment on that? Well, I mean, that's going to have a huge amount of effect of what happens if a COVID nineteen vaccine is generated, mm, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I, I'm I'm interested in this for the sheer fact that. Anti-vax beliefs in Aotearoa, New Zealand, are not particularly common, but they are actually quite common in our neighbour of Australia. So Australia has a very large anti-vaccination conspiracy theory community, and it is kind of fascinating to compare two countries which are, in many respects, very much the same. So we're settled at around about the same time by the British Empire. We've got the same kind of democratic structures. We have basically the same kind of population, so dominant white population, minority indigenous population, a different immigrant populations living in different parts of the country. And yet somehow anti-vaccination beliefs are remarkably high in Australia and not particularly high here. Hmm. And I've always been curious to know, how did we either dodge a bullet or why does Australia act in that particular way? Hmm. They have high anti-climate denial too in Australia. They do, yes. And that's in part because Australia has a lot of natural resources that need that require heavy industry for extraction thereof whether it be coal mm. or ura- uranium in the north of australia and basically australia's entire economy is based around exporting those resources overseas uh. so it kind of makes political sense that you don't want to really espouse belief that the climate is changing because that might mean you have to change the very basis of your economy yeah um jeffrey epstein was murdered to conceal what he knows about his uh, um, his operations. Now, so and we this got, is the uh, conspiracy theory that I'm I've got a I've got, I've got a cute interest in because as listeners to this podcast will know, and as your students will know, there was meant to be a big conference in Miami on conspiracy theories about three weeks ago, and. I've been in correspondence with a variety of, of our different colleagues around the place, and some think there's absolutely nothing to the Jeffrey Epstein conspiracy theories whatsoever. Others are, well, you know, his death is really suspicious. We should at least entertain it. And a few of them are, no, he was definitely killed by the, the <laughs> deep state. And I think that was going to be a big issue at the conference. Oh, not a big issue as of people having no fisticuffs, but I think there were going to be some really interesting discussions of, so why do you think he was killed? Well, why do you think he died naturally? And there would have been some, oh, I, don't, I didn't realize you did or didn't believe this particular claim. So I think that could have been a very mm. interesting sociological experiment to see how our community <laughs> divides in that particular way. Oh, that is true. I mean, a lot of journalists that, that talk to me, they always call me about conspiracy theories, and they never believe them. But this one, they actually, they're like, well, there's good reason to buy into this one. And not to endorse the conspiracy theory, but given the structural failures of your prison system in the US, leading to things like broken cameras, recordings not being kept, etc., etc., it's a pretty suspicious tale. I mean, I don't think it actually turns out to be that suspicious when you look at the prison system in the US and the systemic failures across the board. But the isolated tale of the death of Jeffrey Epstein is a case of surely, surely you'd make some effort when you're guarding this high profile prisoner, because surely you must be aware that if he dies mysteriously, people are going to start making some really bold claims about him. Mm. 
Well, I, he, well, here's the thing. It's it's sort of like the Kennedy theories in the sense that everyone can choose their own adventure, right? So that's why we get it's a, this actually came out higher than Kennedy. This is fifty percent, and I and I think when I polled my class about this earlier in the semester, I think we got sixty or seventy percent who believed who believed that that he was murdered, and the college Republican group on our campus. They 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 put out a big recruitment poster that said Epstein didn't kill himself. Come to the young Republicans meeting or something like that. So it's sort of a meme for 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 young people now. That's that's also an interesting selection pressure for people who might decide to join the young Republicans as well. You suddenly get a whole bunch of Jeffrey Epstein conspiracy theorists <laughs> entering the Republicans in 2019 2020 who then go on to be prominent members of the Republican Party in 10 to 15 years' time, <laughs> at which point under under the presidency of Paris Hilton, I'm just saying she'll be, she'll be a president <laughs> at some point, they have an open inquiry into the cover-up of the death of Jeffrey Epstein by the Trump administration. It makes, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, dangers of GMOs are being covered up, 45%. So another, a lot of people buy into this. They all shop at Whole Foods over here. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Whole Foods. I've, I've been to a Whole Foods. They've got a great selection of beer. Yeah, and they have, they have uh, in every aisle, they have a number that tells you the number of non-GMO items in each aisle. So that's the one that's owned by Jeff Bezos. Yeah, He's, yeah, Jeff Bezos, the the billionaire who decided to start a charity to combat COVID nineteen and asked for the public to give donations to it. That Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, he's not the one making the gen, genetically modified food, though. <laughs> so, um, but he does profit quite handily, I'm sure, from selling stuff that is non-GMO. So, um, because you go to Whole Foods and it's like, oh, want a carrot? Oh, fifteen bucks. <laughs> That's. I mean, if a carrot costs me fifteen bucks, <laughs> I need to do more than simply feed me. I also need it to be useful for, say, traveling through time. Yeah. <laughs> There is a okay. So here's a more generic statement. So a single group of there's a single group of people who uh, controls uh, all major world events. Thirty five percent. Climate change is a hoax. Twenty two percent. And that skews he again heavily to the right. You know the reason being that that's almost an official position of the Republican Party. I think. Now has that gone down at all in recent polling, given the kind of weather events and climate change? That seemed to be demonstrable. I want to say yes, but I think that the numbers, this has been polled a bunch of times in a bunch of different ways, and the numbers are all over the place. But they're always between 20 and, and 45, I think. Um, some are some are tend to run higher, you know, at the high range of that. Some are at the low range of that. But I've, I've done this one a couple times now. I'm getting in the, in the, in the low to mid-20s. So about one in one in four, one in five Americans are, you know, think that this is a, a conspiracy. So so that tends to skew heavily right. But you do find some left wing uh, climate change deniers too. They're just fewer and far between. Yes, yes, there are. I mean, you get the the left wing climate change deniers who who think that either the issues being exaggerated often for corporates to be able to virtue signal about what they're doing to mm. help the environment, or they tend to be skeptical of science, of science in general. So it just falls out. They're skeptical of any scientific claim the climate is changing. Uh, Trump colluded with Russia to steal the 2016 election. 37% of Americans agreed. It's a 0.5 correlation with partisanship. So that's really strong. It's almost all, all independents and Democrats buying into that. So I, I would have thought that this would have dipped considerably since the Mueller report came out. And I, I could see people more buying into the idea that Trump obstructed justice you know, in some ways, not enough to, not in the way that he would be covering up collusion with Russia, but just obstructed. Um, but a lot of people holding on to this, this, this Russian thing. Could that in part be an artifact of this is an election year? It could be, but I had almost, I, I think I had a very similar number uh, last summer too. 
Oh, okay. And that was there, and that was about uh, four or five months after the Mueller report came out, and and the media had sort of abandoned the Russia thing, largely after that, or at least the news did. I mean, it's still it still pops up all the time in like political comedy and, and comedies like that, but it's 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 not a, a news thing like it was. I guess it doesn't help that Trump still talks about it a lot. So there was that series of tweets mm. either yesterday or today where he was asking that the, and this is one of these things where a New Zealand accent won't get this through properly, so I'll spell this out. He's asking for the Nobel Committee to take back all the journalism prizes given to people who covered the collusion scandal or scam. But he's writing about the N-O-B-L-E committee, the Nobel committee, as opposed to the Nobel committee. Uh. And this is a spelling mistake that occurs over the course of three tweets. So it's not a one-off, he got it wrong in one tweet. It's He's really concerned about the Nobel committee, not the Nobel committee, <laughs> awarding prizes about the, about the scam. And he's pressuring the Nobel committee to retract those prizes almost immediately, which, of course, because they don't exist... They either have already done or can never do. It's uh, th that does bring up an interesting question because there was a lot of coverage of this, and all of it was like mouths frosting and uh, mouths frothing, not frosting. <laughs> <laughs> That's a completely different visual image, which like, I, I'm still trying to pass. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's it, it, it because. If right after the Mueller report came out, a bunch of people put together like uh, YouTube videos of clips of all the cable news from the past two years, and they just showed how many times they said the word bombshell. It's a bombshell, 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 game changer, bombshell. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of the end, over and over and over again. And and it turned out to you know they spent millions and millions of dollars, had a long running open investigation, and didn't find it. And there were journalists who were coming out saying. Trump's a Russian asset before the Mueller report. And then afterwards, they say, I've only doubled down on my belief that Trump is a Russian asset. And it's just like, either, either you know, last week you were saying in Mueller retrust, and now you're just going to believe whatever you want anyway. So speaking of which, we did ask directly, is Trump a Russian asset? And we got 37%. So again, probably mostly the same people buying into that. To put the shoe on the other foot, uh, we asked people, did Clint, Hillary Clinton provide Russia uh, with nuclear materials illegally? Now, this was part of the Uranium One. Depending on, on what side you're on, the Uranium One scandal or the Uranium One, you know, made up whatever it is thing. Um, so 28%, and, and that's, again, largely Republicans buying into that one. Did you ask any questions about Benghazi? Because that was a really major story for such a long time, and now it's completely disappeared. I did not. I didn't do it this time. I should have, but I, I'll add that in on the next one. Because this was a little bit more recent, because that was like 2012, and this was, yeah, uh, yeah. Th this, was, this was just last year. But that was largely just people who watched Kennedy on Fox News would have been exposed to that. Republicans stole the 2000, 2004, and 2016 elections. 27%, mostly Republicans buying into that one. Interesting. That's it's it's I've polled that about just the 2000 election in Florida because that's a big thing for us. Um and we got about 30 some odd percent buying in. But again, mostly mostly people on the left. So I mean that's the thing, any election you lose. It was Florida who introduced us to the notion of the hanging chad, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, so, I mean, any election you lose, you're going to wind up with people thinking that they were cheated because no one wants to look into the mirror and say, geez, maybe our candidate wasn't that great. Maybe our party has some crappy ideas that no one likes, or maybe we didn't volunteer and get out, get out the vote as much as we should have. Yeah. So this has been a frequent issue with elections, both here and in Australia, in that whenever one of the two major political parties loses the election, they're much more likely to blame the voting public for why they lost the election rather than the campaign they actually ran. So you'll get these situations. And so the most recent Australian election, where it was actually kind of thought that Labour were going to win and the coalition was going to be turfed out. And then polling day occurred, and the coalition wins a very strong victory, and Labour looks very, very bad. And Labour's response wasn't, 
maybe we chose the wrong leader. Maybe the kind of policy platform that we ran upon was bad. Maybe we shouldn't have it been appeared to agreeing with the government on almost everything, but saying vote for us instead. They went, no, look, we gave it our best shot and you didn't vote for us. So no more playing Mr. Nice Guy. I mean, we, it's, so it was almost as if the party was rejecting the voting public. We will find other people to vote for us. Case of, no, you won't. You, you, the, the, the population is the population. You can't just go find another nation to vote for you instead. <laughs> I mean, it would be neat if parties, you know, sort of came down on the voters more. Like the day after the election, the losers came out and said, well... We ran a good race. We have great ideas. It's just these idiot voters all picked the wrong thing. These voters can't be trusted. Um, we're going to find better voters next time. Which, 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 of course, actually, so so that actually that fits in nicely with the anti-immigration conspiracy theories, of course, because you might think oh. that governments are bringing in sympathetic voters from overseas <laughs> to stack the polling boxes. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the issue here is that you have a lot of Republicans who say, oh, you know, the Democrats are all in favor of open borders because they want more Democratic voters. But it just it, it, Democrats really aren't that favor of open borders. So final one, uh, Barack Obama faked his citizenship to illegally usurp the presidency. Oh, right. So uh, what's that at these days? Uh, still hanging in there at one in five, 20% buying in. Really? Largely people on the right. Yeah, I mean, it got close to 30%, um, 08, 09, 10, 11, 12. Um, but it, it's, it hasn't expanded outside of that part. So I don't think I polled on 9-11. I didn't poll 9-11 this time. I polled it before. But 9-11's been going up for the last couple of years because it's lost its partisan balance. So it used to be exclusively on the left because it was really a an attack on the Bush administration to say, oh, they either knowingly allowed it to happen or they were behind it. But now it's not really a partisan thing because most Americans don't know who George W. Bush is anymore. And this is 20 years in the past at this point. So it's less partisan and more sort of like the Kennedy thing where it's like, who do you think did it? Oh, it's the CIA. It was the, you know, whoever. Um, so the other issue there, too, is that that Trump sort of flirted with 9-11 truth theories, too. So that number's come up largely because Republicans have been buying into that more and more. And I think that'll max, you know, maybe 30, 35, 40% as we go forward, maybe for the next 30 or 40, 50 years even, before it comes back down. The birther thing, because it's specifically about Obama, who is clearly, you know, leader of the Democratic Party, you know, I, I don't think that'll ever get past, you know, 25%, but it's probably it's probably on its way down as history keeps moving forward. I mean, it might be interesting to see if that gets affected by how prominent a role Obama plays as an endorser in the presidential election later on this year. So if the Biden campaign is kind of resting on Obama endorsements for this, that, and the other, so Obama appears in ads all the time, people who are suspicious about Obama's citizenship, that I can imagine those people suddenly becoming kind of reactivated and starting to agitate about. Well, we can't. I mean, he was a he was an illegitimate president, and now he's he's using his illegitimate powers to make another person president. <laughs> That's exactly what it'll be. It'll be you know because I remember at that time in in oh eight oh nine, it, it became a thing. I mean, you had some fairly promise prominent Republicans, not all of them, you know, so people acted like, oh, the entire Republican Party believes this. And that wasn't true at all, ever, it, it, as if all Senate Republicans or something bought into it, too. And that wasn't happening either. It was but but there were some people buying in, particularly lower level, less less known people, but it was becoming a thing. And there were books getting published on this. And so it, it was palpable. And there was the people who believe this were actually really really frightened like oh my god we've been taken over by some manchurian candidate luckily that turned out not to be true um but i think you know people aren't going to give up their beliefs that easily no no i mean the the story of the obama presidency is quite a fascinating one without having to bring in the whole citizenship thing given he came in on the promise of change and then just turned out to be a fairly standard democratic president nonetheless
Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, you know, Democrats are not my cup of tea. Um, I'm a libertarian. I think he did, the things he did good, I think he could have done better. And, you know, and then everything else that he did, I hate. <laughs> but that's going to be the same for any president. <laughs> but I think the people who, who, you see this now, I mean, you saw it during the Bush administration, you know, people with just derangement syndrome, like, no matter what Bush did in the last four years of his, you know, three or four years of his presidency, Democrats were just going bonkers, just ripping their eyeballs out. And, and then it started happening with Republicans. Once Obama came into office, it was the, the, there were Republicans, no matter what Obama did, it was some scheme to do whatever. And he was going to be president, you know, as a dictator for the rest of his life and bring us under one world rule. And then now that's going on with Trump, too, where everything Trump does is some sort of secret scheme. But, you know, the interesting thing here is that unlike with Obama, both for George W. Bush and Trump, the the, the thinking on it sort of goes in two completely different directions. One is they're complete idiots who can't do anything right, totally incompetent. And on the other hand, they're master conspirators at the exact same time. Um, which doesn't really make sense, um, you know, but um, that's there. So it's it's just it's just the case. I think in this country, maybe they ought to bring the term limit down to one term because people just lose their minds <laughs> once the president goes into the second term. If Trump wins again, I mean, the left is just going to be – I mean, I saw what was happening. People were marching in the streets and going crazy when he won in 2016. To win a second term, I mean, I, I have a feeling that th things will get very ugly. I mean, especially if he then announces he's going to run for a third term. I know that he hasn't <laughs> technically announced that, but there are there are so many situations where he's almost got quite close to going, I think I deserve a third term. Oh, he's had his, 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 his supporters, um, like, and I don't mean like supporters like off the street. I'm talking about like former governors, like yeah, Republican yeah. people, like, Oh, he should be given an extra term because of the impeachment. I'm like, what? <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> and they're like, it's in the Constitution, though. I'm like, not any copy I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know where that is. Yeah, it does seem that for a country which is very heavily reliant on the Constitution, a lot of people claim to be constitutional scholars who have obviously never read the Constitution at all, but assume that what they believe is codified somewhere in that really spidery prose. Yeah, and uh, I think what's even worse than that is everybody, you know, wants their constitutional rights for themselves, but not for that guy over there. I'm like, ah. Uh. You know, so it's not, they don't see it as universal. They see it as, oh, I have special rights granted to me. Oh, but that sort of speech, no, not for that. So, yeah, sometimes I think it's probably easier to not read the Constitution <laughs> and assume that what you believe is in it than to read the Constitution and go, oh, I'm actually obliged to this particular thing. Well, I'm not happy with that. You mean my religion can't control everything in this country? I'm, I'm sorry, Joe, but it can't. It can't I have to. Religion. I have to make room for other people's beliefs. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I I believe Jefferson's uh, copy of the Quran is is in the Washington D.C. library. I mean, it does seem the founding fathers may have been deists or Christians, but they they seem to think that maybe that shouldn't be the deciding religion of the country you're in. Yeah, well... <laughs> but that doesn't appear to be the attitude of the modern Republican Party, or indeed parts of the Democratic Party either. Yeah, I mean, my senator down here just tweets... He's either tweeting videos of himself driving his truck around, or Bible verses. And like like Bible verses, you don't even know what, they, what he's referring to or what they mean. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, for those of us who live outside the U.S., most of what most of our response to what's going on there at the moment is, yeah, yeah. So you'll 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 be doing more polling on this in the coming months. What are you going to be looking at? So I'm going to be redoing some of these questions, and I'm going to be adding. I'm going to be focusing more on coronavirus. So looking at different ways that people are thinking about it. 
particularly in terms of conspiracy theories and maybe some misinformed beliefs that they have, and then um, asking more about their coronavirus-related behaviors, too. So there's a really good paper out. It hasn't been peer-reviewed yet, but it is available on Google Scholar uh, by Imhoff and Lamberty. Um, I think you know both of them. And yeah, yeah. Um, they say that the two, so the two conspiracy theories I polled on that the threat's exaggerated or that's some sort of bioweapon, that those are leading to different forms of behavior. So if you think it's exaggerated, you're not engaging in best practices like hand washing and social distancing. If you think it's a bioweapon, you're going, you're going uh, overboard um, and, and are potentially hoarding and doing more self centered um, behaviors um, that aren't good either. Um, so if you hold either belief, you, you're potentially, you know, getting away from a more a more moderate behavioral stance that also does raise the interesting question you might want to think about asking about whether deaths and infections are being underreported because that appears to be a story coming out from a lot of places that a lot of people are sorry a lot of people a lot of countries either initially underreported infections and mm. underreported initial deaths or are using dodgy accounting practices. So, for example, yeah. uh, there's I can't remember which nation it is, is not counting people in rest homes who die of COVID-19. They're only counting people from a particular age range, which thus makes their, their death tally look a lot smaller, mm. and thus looks like they're doing better. But if you take in the data from elsewhere, okay, so no, actually, the situation looks a lot worse. So, yeah, it might be interesting to see whether there are conspiracy theories or cover-ups about the true toll. I think that's going on here. I think there's a lot of people who think that the numbers are being jacked up. And there was, there was even this movement here to send people to, the, to go and film their hospitals because they were saying there aren't really any coronavirus patients at the hospitals. And I'm like, don't go to the hospital. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've we've got an opinion piece right here who's going, well, look, the ICU beds in all of our major hospitals are empty. Obviously, that means the lockdown was unnecessary. And then the epidemiologists are going, no, no, the reason why the ICU beds are empty is because the lockdown has worked and we haven't swamped our healthcare system. You can't use post facto reasoning to then say the lockdown was bad if the predictable result of the lockdown are empty beds in ICUs anyway. Mm. Mm. Well, I'll be looking at that, and uh, I think that's all I got for you for now. (laughs) Well, we'll be checking in on you in a few months' time, if indeed the world exists in a few months' time. I mean, my concern now is not that we'll be wiped out by COVID-19, but because we're we're so focused now on this particular thing, those aliens who are in charge of the world (laughs) government, they're finally going to make their move. Well, hopefully they reset the simulation to uh, 2015 and just rerun this thing again. That would be interesting. I mean, that would be, I mean, if they, if we had to go through the Trump presidency, well, sorry, the election campaign of the Trump presidency again, be quite curious to know what, what factors they might change to lead to either the same outcome or a completely different one. Mm. Well, thank you, Joe. It has been an absolute pleasure and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Always a pleasure. So, Josh, I would ask for your opinion on that interview, but that actually literally is our bonus content this week. Yes, yes. We thought, A, I mean, the, the interviews of a, a decent length, so we don't want to make... 54 this, um, minutes. Mm, so we don't want to make this episode go on any longer. And also now, normally our patron bonus episodes are, are fairly news content oriented, except for in the last week of the month when the, we do something a little bit special because the main episode will be news-oriented. Um, this is the last week of the month, but it wasn't a regular news episode, but we thought we should do something non-newsy uh, for our patrons, given that we cheaped out of doing newsy stuff in the main episode. Um, so the patron bonus episode this week will basically be our, our impressions of the interview, a little bit of, a little bit of um, what do you call it, a bit of an autopsy, a bit of a post-mortem on the interview, perhaps? <laughs> I, like the, I like the way you went to autopsy first and post-mortem. Mm. I mean, technically a post-mortem is an autopsy, just yeah. that we don't tend to refer to 
an analysis of a talk as being an autopsy. We do tend to, in the academic world, talk about that as being more of a post-mortem. But, you know, you went right down to, yep, let's get out the scalpels. Let's dig into the yep. corpse of that interview and see if there's anything left to build our Frankensteinian monster out of. Autopsies are always on my mind. Ever since I saw the movie Sahara, in which um, Penelope Cruz says the word autopsy in a Spanish accent, and it is quite frankly the sexiest thing I have ever heard. I made you watch that film. Did you? Yeah, Thank I you. was the one who suggested we go to see that in the cinema. Mm. Well, it made my life better. Anyway, so we're, we're, we're done for the main part of the episode. Uh, patrons hang around for a, a bit of, bit of autopsy slash postmodern postmortem. A postmodern, postmortem. Uh, I, I assume that's I'm what actually quite curious to know what that would or would not look like. Well, you'll find out in a minute. I, mean, if actually, you're a actually, I think I think our podcast could be quite happily described as a postmodern postmortem. Mm. And I don't know whether that's about conspiracy theory in general or just the state of our careers at this particular point in time. Yeah, could be could go either way. Uh, and of course, the usual the usual notice that if you want to become one of our patrons and get access to these bonus episodes, and also to our Discord server, to listen to the autopsy of Joe Yusinski live on the show, mm-hmm. uh, go to Patreon and search for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy, um, or go to conspiracism.podbean.com, which is where this podcast is officially hosted, and they have a patronage system there as well. Um, and I believe that is all we have to say to you this week. Once again, as I said last week, that's Murder, She Wrote. Mm, and it sure, well, that's why there's the post-mortem, I guess. Touché. Goodbye. Toodle-pip. You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, starring Josh Addison and Dr. MRX Dentit, which is written, researched, recorded, and produced by Josh and M. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron via its Podbean or Patreon campaigns. And if you need to get in contact with either Josh or M, you can email them at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or check their Twitter accounts, Mikey Fluids and Conspiracism. Remember, Soylent Green is meeples.